Texas Business Minds, a presentation of the Texas Business Journals, brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. Professional service firms were able to go remote during the pandemic. Now the question is, how will they return to the office? In this episode, Austin Business Journal Managing Editor Will Anderson welcomes DLA Piper Managing Partner Nicole Brennig. She shares how her firm is transitioning and growing with the Austin market. Well, thanks for joining us on Texas Business Minds. You run the office for one of the largest law firms in Austin, DLA Piper. It's a position of influence on many topics working with local clients, but also just being a major um, law employer in a city that's suddenly on the tip of everyone's tongues from Fortune 500 CEOs to um, kind of international policymakers. Everyone knows about Austin. They want to do business here. Tell me what your kind of day-to-day entails as the um, office managing partner. Sure. Yeah. So DLA is, you know, obviously a global law firm. We represent many of the world's largest organizations globally. Here in Austin, we have um, sort of robust corporate IP uh, litigation and then investment funds practice in particular. So an office of about 55 attorneys and a number of non-attorney professionals. And it, it's interesting, I kind of reflect back. So I've been practicing since 2004 and I moved to Austin in 2006 At the time, I was working for a New York-based law firm, predominantly working for their Boston office. And I interviewed with a couple of different law firms here in Austin, but there really wasn't the opportunity to continue to do investment funds work, which is the space I'm in here in Austin for a local firm that just didn't exist at the time. And so I had the choice to either work remotely for the firm I was working for or sort of switch practice areas. And I ultimately chose to work remotely, uh, which I think has given me an interesting perspective during the pandemic and sort of the evolution of the workplace. But um, that, you know, the, the legal marketplace and the business marketplace here in Austin have evolved so much in that uh, 15 years now, I guess close to 16 years. And now there is the opportunity to work for some of the world's largest law firms doing, you know, essentially anything that a global law firm would do to serve their clients right from here in Austin, which is which is phenomenal. And and it's not just that the firms have come here, but the clients are here as well, which is, you know, a pretty exciting time to be in Austin. It's kind of like the rest of the legal world and business world caught up with you in Austin. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I like to think I, of I think myself the, as a pioneer. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I think that um, the legal world and really the banking and finance world, it used to be thought of, um, you know, you graduate from McCombs Business School or School of Law here. Um, if you really wanted to work in big finance, you moved to Dallas or another big regional finance center. So has that changed? I mean, could you give me any examples of uh, the number of IPOs, big transactions, big investment funds and family offices to work with? Tell me how that's changed. In- yeah, no, that's absolutely changed. And I guess in a couple of ways, you know, Austin, um, I think has become, Texas in particular, I think has become a very popular place for people to live and work. It's a, you know, a you know relatively favorable 
tax rate, you know, you have no state income taxes, the cost of living is, you know, still, it's certainly increasing cost of housing in Austin, I know is a, is a huge issue, but uh, relative to cities like San Francisco, Boston, New York, it's, you know, still a relatively affordable place to live. So you sort of not only have from a law firm perspective, not only have clients moving to Texas, but you also have, you know, this increased sort of understanding that people can work from wherever and be collaborative across teams across the United States and that clients don't necessarily need their attorney to be in the city that they are in. And so a lot of law firms have realized that having an office in Texas, in Austin in particular, um, is a huge opportunity to attract really talented attorneys coming out of uh, UT, but also from elsewhere, people who are you know, looking for a lifestyle change from cities like San Francisco, New York, Boston. We've sure. been able to attract a number of people who are interested in sort of continuing to do really sophisticated legal work for sophisticated clients globally, but just did not have the opportunity to do that from Austin or, or you know, elsewhere in Texas in the past and now have that opportunity. And so they're, you know, coming back to Texas often to be closer to family um, so that, you know, being able to sort of integrate better your lifestyle with, uh, with the city you work in is, I think, a huge opportunity for Texas. We've seen a lot of law firms move into the area that might not have had an office before. Just the same, same themes you're uh, expressing right there. Is competition fierce for new law school graduates? It is. It absolutely is. And, you know, we're also sort of facing as all employers are, this idea of of the great attrition. And so I think law firms and and employers, businesses more generally really need to start sort of thinking about um, what it is we're offering our workers, our employees, and that, you know, sort of competition is not just with respect to pay, you know, certainly paying a fair wage, um, a market, you know, market pay is sort of table stakes at this point, but we see people leaving businesses, leaving their jobs, you know, in many cases for no job at all, uh, which I think speaks to the fact that it's it's not just about pay. People are looking for meaning. They're looking for purpose. They're looking for a place where they feel like they belong. And so I think this idea of not just diversity, but inclusion and belonging are becoming increasingly important for employers to make sure that uh, we, you know, we attract and retain talent. Yeah, not just recruiting, but retention as well. I mean, what does that look like at a global law firm? How do you get people to stick around at a place like DLA Piper? Yeah, I think it's, you know, different businesses will approach it differently and will, you know, that will, they'll need to approach it differently based on their business. But I think making sure that you have an environment in which your people feel sort of safe to speak up and then you actually listen to them is, you know, an important first step in making sure that you're maintaining, you know, that you're attracting and maintaining the most talented workforce. I think, you know, in the sort of post-COVID era, it's really important to understand sort of this new new desire for flexibility, or maybe it's not a new desire, it was probably always there, but um, I think the pandemic 
really showed employers that people can be highly productive uh, while still having a lot of autonomy and flexibility to choose sort of when and where to work. And people, I think, became more integrated and invested in some of their personal lives, their home life than they ever have in the past while still being incredibly productive. And I don't, I don't think um, employees are going to want to give that up anytime soon. I mean, I, I've been practicing since 2004. I have a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old, and I've never not worked full-time, you know, for their whole lives. But I have had this experience during the pandemic of feeling like both a full-time stay-at-home mom and a full-time attorney. Um, and I think when you talk to a lot of parents, that really resonates or other caregivers. I think that really resonates this ability to, you know, sort of be more integrated in their lives and the things that they're invested in. And, and I, I think that's, you know, making sure that you are... Um, giving people the sort of autonomy to choose how they work and what that looks like is going to be very important going forward. Well, from one topic du jour, which is, as you said, kind of the great resignation or the great attrition to the other one, which is flexible working. I mean, every CEO I asked you says, hey, what do you hear out there? What are the others doing? And it is a pretty widespread approach. Tell me how that works from a law firm perspective. I know some attorneys who lead law firms and they've been back in the office the whole time. I mean, or they, they never really left, right? Especially depending on kind of what courts they were in. But uh, I imagine that that also varies widely. What does remote work look like in the legal world? It does vary widely. And I think certainly, I could be wrong about this, but my perception is that many local law firms, you know, never really close their offices per se, um, which makes some sense that, you know, if you're a local law firm, maybe you're, you know, you're, your ability to kind of create a solution more locally is easier than a global law firm that is trying to create a solution sort of across jurisdictions, which may be during a pandemic, you know, facing different things at different times. So I do think there is a lot of variability for us. You know, I, I think, and for a lot of attorneys, there was never a sort of fixed number of days per week that anyone was expected to be in the office per se, but Certainly, just from a cultural standpoint, I think attorneys, for the most part, worked in the office before the pandemic. So generally speaking, people came into the office five days a week. I think that has changed and will sort of continue to evolve. And I think it depends a lot on the type of work you're doing and who you're working with. So for some people and some projects, it may make perfect sense to, you know, continue to work remotely at least some portion of the time. For other projects, teams, you know, types of work, it may be really important to be in the office and, and collaborate. Um, and so I think there's really no one size fits all approach that anyone can take. I think it's a matter though of really communicating for employers, you know, it's a matter of communicating with their employees about sort of what the needs are, what needs to get done, what makes sense, and then being willing to be flexible and, and to be open to providing some, some of that autonomy and to really shift your mindset from a culture of sort of supervising people's work to evaluating outcomes and results. Uh, and that, I think, you know, for a lot of leaders has been a little bit of a shift in mindset, but, a, you know, certainly a growth opportunity. 
Yeah, we see it at Austin Business Journal. It's a sense where uh, we, we also primarily work from the office pre-pandemic just as a routine, right? You right. get in the car at eight o'clock or 7.30, you got into the office, did your work, and then, and then drove home. We've been able to put out news, put out print newspapers, no problem being remote. So it's a question of why do people want to come back to the office, whether it's training or cer- certain teams would need to be you know, back in the office more regularly, uh, or salespeople and journalists that need to go out and meet clients or sources. Like there's there's a bunch of different needs. So how do we reprogram an office to support that and be a place people want to come? So for a law firm, what do you do? Do you tear up the offices that ring the outside of, of the building? Like how do you, what, what do you do different with the um, with, with a law firm office? You know, that's a great question. And I think I have had the sense that at some level, maybe we all do have too much space now, more space than we need because when you're in the office, the you know sort of the benefits of that are that interaction, the collaboration, and just the culture, the relationships that that brings. And so, if you you know if if people are flexible and their schedules are a little bit disparate, if you don't have a smaller footprint, you may come into the office and never run into someone. And so, at some level, I think shrinking the size of the real estate footprint in an effort to really create sort of the culture and collaboration that we're looking for when we're in the office makes sense. So, you know, for now, we have the same offices that we had. Uh, We actually moved our office space during the the pandemic, but uh, we were designing the build out of it once we knew of the pandemic. So we were able to make some changes as a result of that. Um, we've tried to be really intentional about creating opportunities for people when they are in the office to, you know, connect with one another. That's been a huge focus for us. And, and I think, you know, it's different maybe in the law firm world to some degree because of the work that we do. But I think a lot of businesses are being really innovative about the way they define productivity on the in-office days versus the remote days. And I think that is a really interesting way to look at it and think about it, that, you know, what is productive when you're in the office may be different than what is productive on the day you kind of put your head down and just work hard from home. So um, I think, the way work was pre-pandemic really was, you know, a function of the industrial revolution. And we yeah. may have, you know, another major shift on our hands here. And I think we need to be open to that and, you know, have sort of a test and learn culture in our businesses to see what works and what doesn't. And, you know, to not be afraid to fail and um, move on. Nicole Brennick joining us. In our next segment, she previews the future of a hybrid work environment when Texas Business Minds continues. At Texas Mutual Insurance Company, we celebrate the workers who keep your business growing strong. They're a vital part of our community, and we're proud to be on the job with 1.5 million of them every day. More at TexasMutual.com slash on the job. I get the sense too that we're maybe only part way through this transformation. I mean, the pandemic really showed some things like the routine of driving in every day. Why, why did we need to do that? Um, that it might have been a little outdated, as you said, almost harkening back to you know punching in for the nine to five uh, or eight to five you know factory shift. 
then we're partway through that. And we moved offices as well. We moved into 515 uh, Congress and downsized our space, even though we've added employees during the pandemic. But it was still kind of designed with that idea in mind of you get this space and you get that space. And now, you know, no decisions made. But I think about like, do we even need assigned desks? I think it was CBRE that was showing off their office a few years, like 2017. This is back well before pandemic where they had a clean desk policy where every day you left and, you know, you picked up all your papers, there's nothing left. So someone else could like, if you're going to the office, you might be able to, you should be able to pick your seat or something. So just the point that even though we moved offices, you're, you're right. We still need to be willing to try something different. And I think that works in the sort of flexible work environment because, you know, you need all your things in both places. And so I, I do find that my office at work feels sort of less inhabited than it did before the pandemic because, you know, I need to carry the materials that I'm working on back and forth with me to and from the office. And so, yeah, a clean desk policy or sort of a hoteling concept, I think actually works really well and fits with what people are actually doing from a practical perspective, which is, you know, kind of plugging in in different places um, to get their work done, depending on the, the needs and what it is that they're trying to accomplish each day. Now, this is for our podcast, so people aren't going to see the video, but I'm at my home office. Uh, I assume yeah. you are as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, how often do you think you're working going into the office, you know, per week right now in, you know, early April? I try to go in three days a week um, that, you know, it, it's interesting. Someone asked me recently, do you prefer to work in the office? Do you prefer to work at home? You know, do you miss the 100% remote or the 100% in the office? I really like the flexibility and I really enjoy being in the office the days I'm there. The um, I just get energy from the people around me. I enjoy that connection. For me, that has always been what uh, I enjoyed most about work is the relationships that I have with my peers and clients. So um, that is meaningful to me. At the same time, I do think going into the office is a little bit of extra work. Um, You know, you have to think about what you're going to wear from the waist down and you, you know, you need to shower. And, you know, a lot of people's lifestyles really changed during the pandemic and hundred percent work from home. And many people I hear, you know, exercise mid morning now. And so I think a lot of people are really trying to figure out, okay, what does my day look like in this new area? And how do I structure that to, you know, to sort of accomplish everything that, I got really good at accomplishing. You know, people became, I think, incredibly productive. Many burnt out, obviously. You know, there's yeah. there are huge issues with that. But I think a lot of people um, became incredibly productive and felt really invested in a lot of different areas of their life and, and are not really keen to give that up. That marries kind of two concepts that you have been touching on that I find really interesting. One is as manager myself, I'm constantly thinking, why do I want to go back to the office? What about it is special? And it's it's seeing the people that I work with and, and you know, kind of random interactions that lead to collaboration and creativity. But you also brought up another really interesting point, which was measuring productivity differently. Because if you're at home, you can really put your head down and finish that brief, right, in a legal case, yep. and finish evaluations you're doing of, um, of your lawyers or your journalists. But you might need to measure that differently because when you're in the office, it isn't necessarily about the heads down work. So I wonder if you could expand on 
how you measure productivity differently or just the different mindsets? Because I think that could be really valuable to managers in this situation. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it, it will depend obviously on, you know, your position, right? Um, maybe a first year associate versus, you know, the managing partner at the office, maybe, you know, their day is going to look different. But I think for, for leaders and managers, the in-office time is an opportunity to make sure you are connecting with your team, that you're hearing from them, that you're giving them an opportunity to talk to you about, what is going on in their world and that you're listening to them and that you're, you know, um, taking that feedback and incorporating it into the way in which you run your business. So I think for, for leaders, for managers, being in the office is, is not a time to necessarily just put your head down and crank out emails or work, but really to make sure that you're uh, forming those connections and, and hearing from your people. Great. I can't let you go because you're in the investment management world. I can't let you go without asking about Bitcoin. Um, okay. <laughs> Austin, Austin's kind of become a hub for crypto innovators. Do big, you know, deep pocketed kind of traditional investment managers uh, take note of that? Or is it uh, obviously Tesla's done things like offer um, or get more intertwined with, with cryptocurrencies? Is that a fad or are you, uh, do, do you advise clients and tell your attorneys to advise clients to, uh, to take heed? I think we have to take heed. I don't think it's a fad. I mean, there may be some frothiness to that market. It's obviously very volatile. And I don't know that anyone knows what the future of crypto will look like, but it it's not going away. I definitely think it's here to stay. And I think that there is a lot of institutional capital flowing into cryptocurrencies and you know, the sort of crypto fintech that, you know, the ecosystem around crypto and Bitcoin, et cetera. So no, I don't think it's a fad. I don't think it's going away. And I, I think it's something that we all need to be learning about. I have a 14 year old son who's incredibly interested in it, oh, really? uh, constantly looking at NFTs and things like that. And I keep telling him, you need to learn everything you can about this because, you know, there are uh, very few people who understand it and understand sort of the full ecosystem. So it's incredibly interesting, but I don't think it's going away. And I, I do think there's enough institutional capital invested in crypto that something will come of it. It's becoming much more mainstream now, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Nikki, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Will. Take care. DLA Piper Managing Partner, Nicole Brennick, joining us. Thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Texas Business Journals and brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. Texas.